my family in Christ, and I mean that, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to call you our, my family in Christ. I bring you greetings from Mobile, Alabama, Saving Grace Lutheran Church, where I'm a pastor, uh, down south from here, a little closer to the coast. Um, Roll Tide, is that, a, is that what I need to say now? Or War Eagle, which, or do we have half on each? I don't know which one to do. I yeah, get myself into trouble either way, okay. Um, good to be here this morning, and thank you for the privilege and the honor to be able to share God's Word with you. Uh, on this Mission Sunday, even though I am in Alabama, I served as a missionary to a congregation in St. Lucia down in the Caribbean for about 16 years. Moved up to Alabama about a year ago, uh, and uh, sharing the message of Christ down through the Caribbean. We have a, a congregation in St. Lucia, congregation, a Trinity Lutheran Church and School on the little island of St. Lucia, about three islands north of South America. Uh, we have another church and school in Grenada, another little island down there along the uh, chain of islands, and then actually the, the biggest congregation in the South Atlantic District, that area that we're in in our Lutheran churches, in Antigua. Uh, we have a church and a school in Antigua as well, so I had the privilege of serving in St. Lucia and working regionally with our congregations down there as well. Um, now, I know what you're thinking if you've ever been down to the Caribbean before. You're probably thinking, oh yeah, that's a real tough assignment to live in the Caribbean. Well, just so you know, yes, living in the Caribbean is not like going to the Sandals Resort. There's a little difference between vacationing and living in the Caribbean, but it was a, a great place to be. I think that um, we probably weren't ready, however, when my wife and my family and I moved down to uh, St. Lucia, with just the, the overwhelming amount of, of sights and smells and sounds and the differences that there were living in a different culture. St. Lucia speaks English, British English, they make fun of our English, uh, but uh, a place that you know had similarities and yet um, a lot of differences as well. Um, I, I can remember when I first went down there, you hear the stories about the Caribbean, it's a very friendly place, it's a great place to be. I didn't find people to be particularly friendly when I went down there. I would get on public transportation and people, ladies would take their purses and kind of move over to the side when I sat down. And I didn't know exactly why. It was very hot and I, I probably didn't smell the greatest. But I mean, I, other than that, I'm not sure why people treated me the way that they did. And I can remember the president of our congregation at one point, uh, Tyron Singh, he asked me, he said, Pastor, how's it going down here in St. Lucia? How are you doing? And I said, you know, Tyron, I... I don't, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but I don't find people that friendly. And he said, um, he said well, that's, that's odd because people in the Caribbean are very friendly, kind of accusing me of being the problem. He said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I don't think I'm doing anything. Uh, I'll give you an example. The other day I went down to the Bank of St. Lucia. There's a big modern bank, by eight, ten stories tall in downtown. And in the, ba the, the ground floor is a big room filled with probably 20 or 30 tellers, typical bank with a, a lot of people going in and out right down by the cruise ships. And I said, you know, I, I, like I walk into the bank of St. Lucia and I'll open up the door and literally everyone, there's probably 50 people in the lobby kind of stop what they're doing and they all look at me with a look like this on their face. And I, I don't know what I'm doing, but, and then slowly they go back to what they're doing. And Tyron said, well, what did you do when you went into the bank? And I said, well, I didn't do anything. I just walked in. And he said, well, did you greet anyone? I'm like, well, no, what do you mean? Well, did you tell him good morning? I'm like, well, no, why would, it, why would I do that? He said, well, this is a very polite society. When you walk into some place, you need to greet everyone. Everyone's not going to greet you. And if you don't, then you're looked at as a 
rude American is what you're looked at. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me try that. So next time I went down to the bank, I, I did. I walked into the you know, big glass doors, and I walked in. There's this giant lobby, all these people. Everybody kind of stops and looks at you. And I said in my <clears throat> bravest voice, <clears throat> good morning. And sure, like a chorus, everyone says good morning and then goes back to what they're doing. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I got onto the public transportation, ducked my head in, said good morning. Everyone said good morning back to me and life went on as normal. And I got into the habit, every room you walked into, wherever you were, whether you knew people or not, you walked in and said good morning and everyone said good morning and greeted you back. Yeah. It got so bad that when I came back to the United States, I would go down to Walmart and I'd step into Walmart and say, good morning. And even the greeter would look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, there's, there's a little bit of differences, these, these subtle differences in culture where you kind of learn. It is almost a, a prerequisite, I think, if you're going to serve in a different culture, and that may be California, New York, Alabama, or around the world, that at some point you are going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. You, you almost have to get ready and used to just feeling this sense of, I, I don't know exactly what's going on here, and I don't know if what I'm doing is correct. This is a part of it. I don't know that even as the life of a Christian, that that's necessarily something that we also shouldn't embrace. And I'll tell you why, right? The, the Lord asks us to share our faith. And it may be in the particular context in which we're in, in our families and our communities. And yet you all know that there is an awkwardness that comes with sometimes speaking our faith. Yeah, so the portion of scripture I want to share with you this morning is, is I, as he encourages us in our faith and to share that faith and to do mission work is really that. I, I, to take a look at the life of Jesus, I doubt that he ever felt awkward in any situation, and yet there were times when Jesus created this awkward or awkward. You think of the lady that was about to be stoned for her infidelity, or walking into the temple and tipping over the money changers. These are awkward moments. And we have a historical snapshot this morning in the portion of scripture I'd like to share with you. The same thing, the woman at the well. A Samaritan woman that Jesus strikes up a conversation with in order to get to really the heart of the problem. So my prayer for you today is as I share God's word with you, that two things may come across. Not be afraid of embracing the awkward in your own life, but secondly, because of the value that we put on the gift that has been given. Uh, let me share with you this morning, John chapter 4, verses 5 to 14, and then just the final two verses that really kind of conclude this in verses 25 to 26. You can follow along in your sermon notes if you like to. Let me read through this portion of scripture uh, as we look at the life of Christ in his gospel today. John writes this, he says, <clears throat> chapter 4, starting at verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So far the word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, strengthen us in your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You probably will familiar with this particular account as Jesus and his disciples were traveling from the, the north part of the country in Jerusalem up to the, to, the, to the top up in the south. And as they went through, there was this little section of Samaria where people had been transplanted and kind of taken over, and there was a lot of animosity there. Um, it probably would be similar if we were traveling from Alabama out to the coast and you had to go through Georgia bulldog country. Anyone here from Georgia? Oh, good. We can pick on Georgians then, yeah. Well, it was probably a little more than that. There was a lot of animosity, as you know, between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And, and for a lot of times, a lot of the Jewish people would even go around Samaria as they went up. But instead, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus' intent on bringing the gospel message to everyone, passed through Samaria, and they stopped at a historical spot where Jacob's well was. The, the, the lady there uh, even claimed it as her own, which was kind of a slap in the face to anyone who was Jewish who would have said, you're not really uh, Jewish and would have claimed this as your own. But they stopped there. It's about noon. They're hot and dusty. The disciples went into town in order to find something to eat, left Jesus outside, maybe so Jesus wouldn't cause any trouble, I don't know, or didn't want to get into a fight when they went into a Samaritan town. But while he was there... A woman comes up to the well, and Jesus starts this conversation. You're going to notice a couple of things as Jesus does, and this is typical as he approaches people and really kind of to bring across that gospel. The first thing he does is conversational, right? He strikes up a conversation. The second thing he does, he's, he's a little bit contentious. He, he, he's controversial, right, in what he brings across to bring out his point. And then the last one, you see how he comes around to being salvational, where he is talking about the soul of a woman. So he comes up to this woman and he starts by striking up a conversation. This is pretty basic to sharing our faith. You cannot share the gospel if you don't talk to people. Communication is one of those basic things when it comes to human relationships. And he starts off with a very easy, very basic question. Um, ma'am could you possibly bring me a, a glass of water? Now, right away, the Samaritan woman, as she is standing there, realizes that this is not necessarily normal. And she goads him a little bit. She's like, really? You, a Jewish man, are going to ask me for a glass of water? You know that that's not okay. And, and this is where Jesus brings in a little bit of the, the controversy. He, he kind of goes and, and bends some of those social norms that are in the world at that point. Just like in today, there are sometimes situations where we don't talk or we're afraid to talk. There are, there are certain things that we don't do. It was the same thing during Jesus' time. He talks to a Samaritan 
who you would not socially ever talk to. He talks to a Samaritan woman who at the time then would not talk to a strange woman. And he challenges her a, a, a little bit. If you read that other section, he not only challenges the social norm and the, the gender norms at that time, but then he gets really personal. And you remember if you talked to her, he also said, aren't you also the one that doesn't have one husband, but five, right? This was an awkward conversation for the woman. And yet you see how Jesus brings out the grace of God. It wasn't just a conversation. He wasn't just challenging her but then he brings out that salvational part of his conversation. And if you look at verse 10, and I think this is really where it shines through in his answer to her, you see just the heart of this. He says this to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. And then she responds and says, I want some of that. I could set up a shop and send that kind of water that no one ever has to drink again. But he responds, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus tells her, if you knew the gift of God, not the one wrapped in bubble wrap like we had our kids popping up here, but the gift of God, if you knew the salvation that God was bringing, if you knew the forgiveness that he offered, if you knew the promise of eternal life that comes from faith in your heart and the person who brings it, the savior of the world, the one who died on the cross for all people, if you knew the gift and the one who brought it, who is me, I am that Messiah, you would need nothing else, right? In a sense, Jesus is saying those same words to us, and he's describing you and I, right? We have the gift. We have faith in our hearts that he has given to us, whether in the waters of baptism or through the word of God. That's he's describing us, and we know the one who has brought that gift the Son of God, Christ, who is our Savior. We are the blessed ones that have that gift of salvation that he's talking about as the Savior of the world. I think sometimes maybe our temptation, especially in our modern day and age today, is undervaluing what we have in our lives. And I, I think part of it is because of just the culture in which we live. Tell me if, if you feel that this is true. Maybe I'm overstating, but we live in a society that tends to thrive on comfort. You ever notice that, right? We do things that are comfortable. We pay for things that are comfortable, right? In our banking, in our schools, in our families, in our living rooms, we never buy a chair. We buy an overstuffed chair, right? I just got back from hauling a few things out from my parents' house in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, rented a, a, a rider truck, and uh, can you imagine the moving truck had crank windows on it? Can you imagine not having power windows? And the air conditioner only went up to three instead of four? Yeah, it's terrible, right? We, we are so used to comfort in our lives. I went to the Houston Rodeo last year. I'm sorry I'm going off on this. But the Houston Rodeo last year, they had a huge Chevy truck display. I don't know if anybody here has a Chevy truck. The new Raptors that are going for about $80,000 have a built-in massage chair. In your pickup truck, right? I mean, we love 
comfort, and we, and, and we thrive on it. And it's not necessarily bad. I love my comfort as well. But I wonder if, if that also becomes a temptation for us and our faith and our relationship with God and how we share our faith. Do we shy away from the difficult conversation? Do we shy away from the uncomfortableness of witnessing our faith? Do we shy away from anything that was difficult or awkward for our faith, right? If you really want to make your faith comfortable and easy, don't talk to anyone, right? That's how we do it. And, and this slips into our lives. And yet, the gift that we have been given and the value of that gift is everything to us. Imagine, at one point in our lives, we have this tendency to look for ourselves. And, and again, I'm not saying that a nice overstuffed chair is bad. But we have this tendency to make life easy for us. Uh, Luther one time used a Latin term to say that we are incurvatus se I think is what he said, which means that we're curved in on ourselves, always looking for ourselves. But it was God who at one point did make us the center of his universe. It was God who at one point did make us the most important thing in his eye. And it was God who came and said to us, I am going to love you no matter what. I, I am going to become uncomfortable, die on that cross so that you might take, so that I might take away that sin that separates you from me, that I might call you my own. The gospel of Christ is, no matter how tough it is and how much we overlook and look to ourselves, that Christ has forgiven that on the cross, that is our gift. And we have it. We won't be here this morning if we didn't. That is the most valuable thing in our lives so that when it comes to being uncomfortable for the Lord or sharing the word what is that compared to the value of the gift of eternal life in someone let me just share with you an example of that um, had a member of our church down in St. Lucia her name was Susanna uh, we met her in a very uncomfortable way we used to get mission teams that would come down from schools and we did all kinds of mean things to them to make them really feel uncomfortable in a foreign setting, which was good for them. It stretched their faith. One of the things that we did, though, is we had across from, we had a study center where kids would come in the afternoon in order to, to uh, help with their schoolwork. We'd share the word of God with them. But across the street was public housing. It was a pretty rough neighborhood. And uh, so when the kids would come down, we would go canvassing in these neighborhoods, and uh, we would go from door to door and knock on the door. Here's these little white American kids going into these neighborhoods that they had never seen anyone before. And we came across this woman by the name of Susanna. So we knocked on the door, and we used to do this when we went out, very confrontational. I don't know if you remember the, when we used to do outreach, we'd knock on the door and say, if you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? Very confrontational. Maybe you remember that, yeah. And this is what we ask people. Now, in the Caribbean, it's a very spiritual place. People do believe in God. We knocked on the door, and Susanna answered, and we asked her, um, yeah, we're just from the church across the street. If you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? And Susanna was like, ah, I'm going to hell. I mean, she knew it. She, and she said, I'll tell you why I'm going to hell. And she had about a list of stories. The kid's eyes just dropped and go, yeah, you're going to hell, all right, yeah. It was one of those things. Susanna was and knew exactly what she had done wrong. She had lived in a tough life. She had been bounced around, had several, at least five husbands. None of them were her husband, kids all over the place. Um, but at one point, her, we came into contact with her. Her kids started coming to our study center across the street. 
her kids invited her to come to a Bible information class, which she did. She wouldn't come to church. She was afraid the roof would cave in. She went all the way through a Bible information class, decided that, okay, yeah, I'll try the church. She walked into church. The roof didn't cave in. Uh, she joined the congregation. She take, took communion for the first time ever. She cried when she received the body and blood of Christ. Uh, more than that, she fell in love with someone at church, the president of the congregation, got married to Bobby Nabawi, and now was the, president, the wife of the president of the congregation, and life was good, right? Uh, one of those situations where it turned out. The Lord had other plans, however. Um, after about two years of wedded bliss, uh, she was diagnosed with, with lupus, right? And I don't know if you're familiar with lupus, but it, it attacks your internal organs. Uh, hers were her kidneys. Before long, within the next year, she was going to the hospital regularly, about three times a week, to do kidney dialysis. We had a couple of kidney dialysis machines that Martinique, the neighboring island, had loaned over to the hospital. So she spent a lot of time in the hospital. It was an open-air, long building, about this wide, uh, about twice as long in the back. And there was a row of beds on this side, the women's ward, and the row of beds on this side. Um, and she always had got a bed way in the back by the open window, and there was a door on this end, and I would visit her probably two, three times a week. She would always set up her gospel music in the back, and when I came in, she knew all the nurses, so she would kind of stand up and, hey, everybody pipe down, pastor's here, and then everyone would listen to the devotion. Yeah, she was just that kind of a woman, not afraid of anything. And so we regularly got to know her very well, had a lot of devotions with her. Well, eventually it was getting to the point where her body was just given out. It only lasts for so long. And um, so at one point, about two or three, two or three weeks uh, before she passed away, I asked her that same question. I said, Susanna, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know, but I want to know that you know. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? And she gave me just as confident of an answer. She said, ah, oh, pastor, you know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven because I know my Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And it was about three weeks later that uh, her husband and I went down to the hospital. She passed away and we buried Susanna. You think about the uncomfortable conversations that we have you think about the situations that we're placed in you think about all of these things that some will call it luck and chance but really it's God's guidance on where we end up in our life and the difference that sharing the message of the gospel makes right that soul is saved you may never have met Susanna and you probably never will until the other side of heaven and yet that uncomfortableness makes a difference. I got two applications for you this morning when it comes to embracing the awkward of our faith and the value of that gift. Number one, continue in your congregation, as I know you all have faithfully, to support our corporate mission outreach. Most of our congregations in the Wisconsin Synod give a congregational mission offering, which is a percentage of, of our offerings to support our church body so that we can send pastors and missionaries out around the world. We can do more together than we can individually. Continue to support that and keep those missionaries in your prayers, right? And, and on behalf of missionaries everywhere, now I'm back in Alabama, but on behalf of missionaries every, everywhere, Thank you for the support that your congregations give so that we can go and share the gospel in places where not everyone can. But the second thing is this. Embrace the awkward, <laughs> the conversation that you know you need to have with a friend or, or with a relative. Don't be afraid of that conversation. And the reason is not just because we want to be awkward or uncomfortable, but because the value of the gift that we have been given is so powerful, right? It is the difference between life and death. 
Friends in Christ, I just want to give you encouragement to continue to share your faith in your context, your family, your communities, wherever you're at, because it is worth it. One last quote. There was a pastor who once said, and I believe it to be true, it is not imitating Christ that makes us sons of God. It is the sonship, the fact that we have been called sons of God, that makes us imitators of our Lord. Let us continue to embrace the awkward and save souls. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.